Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boxing fans around the world. We wrapped up our evening of boxing yesterday with uh, crowning a new king at 154, Mr. Jamel Charlo. Gets the stoppage in round 10 as we suspected that he would. A very bizarre fight, that one. And then, of course, Boots Ennis blew out Castillo Clayton in two rounds. That did not surprise us necessarily. What really surprised us was the aftermath of the actual sequence, I should say. It was a little bit weird, and I'm going to talk about that one. There were a couple other fighters that were fighting that we didn't know were fighting. We're going to cover those as well. Then we have a potential tentative announcement. Some things came up where it may have changed our mind, but we got a potential tentative announcement that we're going to share as well. Let's go ahead and get into this, and let's work our way backwards, if we will. Let's start out with uh, Castillo Clayton, Boots Ennis. I said before the fight, I actually think that Boots Ennis has never really been tested. And I suspected that Castillo Clayton at least would be a step up. Not necessarily upper class A-level talent, but at least a step up from where Ennis had been. I believe this. This fight, ladies and gentlemen, was surprising and disappointing at the same time because what we saw was that Castillo Clayton seemed to not even try. And I'm arguing that he didn't, it felt like he didn't even really try. I saw no concerted effort from him to step up his game and get in there and show me that he wanted to win this fight. Errol Spence was actually at the event and he was interviewed after the fact and even he said, seemed like Castillo was just here to collect a check. So, I've always, we didn't learn anything new about Boots, right? I've always seen, he's got a good jab, solid. He has a really good ability to hide his next punch coming with with his glove. And he has a really good jab and he seems to use it frequently and he's able to basically set you up. So he'll toss the jab and he will get through the guard whenever he wants to. And eventually he's going to hit you with something that's going to take you out. We've seen this time and again. So there was never a problem there. The issue I've always had is he leaves his face wide open and he gets hit when the opponent is not afraid to actually throw on him. And I suspected that Castillo would at least try to exploit this clear gap in Boots' game. And he did not. He was pretty much tentative the whole time. And it only lasted two rounds, mind you. But he was tentative the whole time, even though he had opportunities to do something. Then we get to the sequence where off a jab, he gets wobbled, does Castillo a little bit. Then there's a sequence where Castillo's anticipating the the shot, the power shot coming at him, and he ducks down, and the angle with which he ducked down was really strange, almost like he anticipated the punch wrong because Boots threw it in a way that looked like a rabbit punch because of the camera angle, which I didn't get to see the opposite angle. They didn't, at least I didn't see a replay of the opposite angle, but it sure looked like a rabbit punch to me. The ref called it, and when Castillo got up, he was all kinds of on Queer Street, and this stops the fight, and I don't blame him for stopping the fight, but I was not impressed with the way that that fight went, and that's not to ding on boots. Again, I it just feels like for whatever reason, he's not able to have a fight that just that tests him, and I was really counting on Castillo to at least test him, to, you know, at least try, and he didn't try. It was worse than Pacquiao versus Claudi. That bad. It was that bad. And I don't know why. I can't tell you why. So I don't know where Boots goes from here. He's called out the big names. He keeps calling the big names. And I got you. I would say this. I don't want to see him in there against uh, Blair the Flair Cobbs anymore. I said that at one point because I felt like Cobbs would be able to do enough to test. But 
now that I've seen Cobbs against Rocha, I know that Cobbs would make a mistake. Like, it's not like he couldn't take the power. I, I believe if Cobbs were in there, he would be able to take power shots from Boots Ennis if he saw them coming. The problem is, would he see them coming? And I'm not sure that he would. So I don't want to see that fight anymore. What I would like to see probably, ironically, is probably Mario Barrios. I think that'd be a good fight as a test. I believe that Virgil Ortiz would be a pretty decent good test. Uh, Stankonia might be a good test, maybe. Jamal James might be a good test. Like some of these guys might be a decent enough test. Some people said that, you know, he would blow out does boots Keith Thurman. I don't see that as a blowout. I think Thurman would test him really well. Even if he did lose, I think Thurman would test him really well. That'd be a good fight to see. I don't want to see him in there against Spence and Crawford right now. I see that Crawford would exploit the fact that his head's wide the hell open. And eventually it would go like Crawford and Kell Brook, where Kell Brook out-jabbed Crawford for four rounds straight before Crawford eventually got through and hit him with that one shot that staggered him enough to where Crawford could pounce on him. I think that's the same way it would go if Crawford was in there. That's how I see it because Boots leaves his fucking head wide open. I don't like it. With Spence, it feels like I don't think Boots is going to be able to navigate the jab the same way he was able to do against everybody else because we saw against Ugas. Ugas was jabbing the hell out of Spence and eventually Spence said F it and just started going after him, broke him down and got the stoppage, which is old Spence. That's like prime Spence. So does Spence stop Boots? I don't know that, but it feels like Spence would have too much to be able to, for Boots to be able to do what he just did against Clayton against Spence. I don't see that. And I see Crawford pouncing on him and getting him out of there. This is how I see it. That's why I want the guy tested because I this te- this did not test him. I need him tested. I need somebody that's not going to be afraid of him and somebody that's not going to show up for a check. And no, it's not about him being ducked. It's about you're supposed to be a fighter. You're supposed to have the heart of a champion, heart of a lion. Go in there and be a warrior even in defeat. That's why I have more respect for somebody like Blair the Fair Cobbs who went out swinging. Deontay Wilder went out swinging. That's what I want to see. That's not what we saw at Castillo Clayton, so I was very disappointed in that one. The top fight, of course. Jamel Charlo, Brian Castaño, the rematch. Very good fight. I Some people call it a fight of the year candidate. Maybe I didn't see that, but it was a very good fight for what it is. If you didn't get a chance to see it, I do recommend you check out a replay if you can. Because, of course, this is a rematch. So the narrative was, will Charlo adjust his style? The first fight, Charlo basically got drawn into wars with Castaño, which favored Castaño, which is what caused him to ultimately lose those. In this fight, he was boxing smart. Arguably, he was boxing the way Lara boxed Castaño, except that Charlo had the killer instinct that Lara lacked. As a result, Charlo, in the ending sequence, which happened in round 10, and it was a bizarre sequence, so let's pivot to that, they're in the, they're, uh, Charlo's guys back on the ropes, they're face to face, and then Charlo lands a shot right on the chin while, and what Castagna was doing pretty much all the fight was he was coming in with a high guard so he could kind of evade jabs and block jabs and deflect, and then he would throw, and he was catching Charlo. In this last sequence, unfortunately, Charlo was catching some shots prior to this, so what would happen is Charlo just knew this was going to happen, so he would open up and start throwing. Well, Charlo throws a hook, a left hook, right across the chin, and Castaño's still coming forward for a second, and then it's like time stopped. And like two seconds later, Castaño just crumples. He just just crumpled. It was like he just went rubber. His whole body, it wasn't like your normal knockout or knockdown. 
It was a delayed reaction. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, but he just crumpled, comes to a knee. Ref gives him a standing eight. When Castaño got up, he was like swaying, like he was on a ship in the ocean. He was not steady at all. Dangerously hurt. Like if you, if anybody remembers Jacob versus Quillen, Jacobs versus Quillen, Quillen was up. Quillen was bouncing. Quillen was ready to go. And then the ref just stopped it. Just stopped it. If we, anybody remembers Jacobs versus Pierogue, Jacobs gets blitzed. Jacobs gets up and he says, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then the ref just stops it in neither of those situations was Jacobs or Quillen wobbled, like swaying like a ship, like we saw here. But yet here, Castaño was in bad shape. He was in bad shape and I was stunned. The ref let it continue. I get it. It's a unification. It's a championship fight. This dude was hurt. He could have been paralyzed temporarily. That's how bad it looked. If you watch it. Immediately, Charlo blitzes him. He rushed across that ring faster than I've ever ever seen. Lands three shots on Castaño. Castaño goes down. The ref starts counting again before stopping it. Just mind-boggling. And I get it. Championship, whatever. Come on. There's some times when it's just bad and you just really should stop the fight. This is one of those, and I don't say that too often. Kudos to Jamel Charlo. He makes history. He's the first 154 unified champion since we had four belt orgs in place. So he's in the history books. I know some people don't like that because he's a PBC fighter. Fact is, he's in the history books for what he did, and I give him nothing but respect and credit for what he did. Where Castaño goes from here remains to be seen. I didn't see a complete destruction to the degree that I think he should retire. Like, it reminded me of Jamal and J-Rock, where J-Rock got, that was a brutal knockdown he took uppercut. But J-Rock was able to come back and still excel and even win a title, I believe. So I think Castaño can recover. The question is, does he want to continue? Does he want to recover? There's still Tessera out there. Danny Swift said he was going to 154. And then Errol Spence and Crawford said after this, either one or both of them are moving 154. Keith talked about 154. So we now are seeing guys that are in the twilight of their careers potentially coming to 154. So there's some fights to be made there. And we see some new and up-and-coming guys coming into 154. We saw Fundora. He's now campaigning at 154, even though however the hell he's doing it, he's able to make 147. He chooses to fight at 154. So 154 is starting to get, as the young kids say, lit again. And we have to kind of keep an eye on that one. And 147 is kind of losing its luster because now, at this point, there's really only three guys that are really in the limelight of 147, that being Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, and yes, for the haters, Keith, once upon a time, Thurman. Thurman's still in the mix. He's only ever lost to a legend in the business. And in that loss, it was still close. It was seven rounds to five the way I had it. It was close as all hell, and Keith just took the guy lightly. He admitted he took him lightly, and he shouldn't have done that. I think Keith is still a live dog. I think Keith can still be a player, and he still has the name. He still has the brand. And I don't want to see him, Keith, in there with Spence or Crawford next. I would like to see Keith fight Boots, perhaps, or fight Virgil Ortiz or one of these other up-and-comers so we can know, are you got, like, now Keith is in the position that Sean Porter was in, where he's kind of that gate, and it's like, you got to get past me if you want to get to the top dogs, because I've been at the top, and if you can't get past me, you ain't ready for them. That's what I want to see out of Keith once upon a time, Thurman. Will we see it? I don't know. I can't say. Some other fights that were in action, uh, Rene Alvarado had made a return after a long layoff. I didn't realize he was fighting. It wasn't on the on the uh, score sheet or the schedule sheet. He took a loss. It was a pretty good fight. Not a great fight, but a pretty good fight. Uh, but he took a loss to decision. It was an upset decision, arguably. 
the biggest upset, of course, and this happened on a different uh, showcase. Uh, Evan Fields, a.k.a. Evan Holyfield, the son of Evander Holyfield, took his first loss. This guy that he lost to, Jermaine McDonald, I believe is his name. You can't get a bigger cherry pick than this guy. This guy was like a 16 to 1 underdog going into this fight and pulled it out and upset the young Holyfield. Absolute shocker. Some people said it shouldn't have been a shocker. It's a shocker. That was a shocker. It's bad. Jermaine McDonald is not a quality fighter under any description of said. He's not quality to that degree. Obviously, you respect boxers for getting in there. Jermaine McDonald should not have gotten his W, but he got the W. We got to give him his respect. Kubrat Pulev, he was in action. There was some controversy on that one. Apparently, his opponent, his hands couldn't fit in the gloves, so it's like OJ all over again. Even with the wraps not on his hands, he still couldn't fit his hands in his own freaking gloves. So Pulev had to let this guy borrow his spare pair of gloves in order for the fight to continue. And then Pulev completely dominates him over decision. It wasn't close. Really bizarre. I've never seen where you, as a fighter, you bring your gloves to the event or you have your gloves shipped to the event and they don't fit your hands. That's weird. So I'm, I'm assuming that the opponent just came in heavy. I can't think of any other reason why that would be the case. Sergey Kovalev made his return to boxing, debuting at the cruiserweight division for the first time. I believe that's the first time in his career he's at cruiserweight because he was at light heavyweight before. He was in action. He didn't look impressive. He's 39 years old, so obviously he's older, but he he basically did the Joshua shift. He now was he's backing off, and he, the same way he fought against Canelo, really, backing off, fighting off a jab. It was really unexciting. There was no reason to see it. And he said, you know, I'm older. It was a layoff. I got to get back into the groove, get back used to this. And he's had weight issues in the past. So I, I don't know why he bothered coming back. I understand the love of the game. I got it. But it was not good to see him in action. In any event, uh, I like I said, the, the Charlotte Castaño fight was really good. And it made history. So I think it's worth the time. Uh, Jamel Charlo has stepped out of the shadow of his brother. He is arguably the better of the two brothers. I'll say that. I don't care. I don't care if Jamal, Jamal was right in front of me. I'd say him. Your brother is kicking it. You're not, dude. Because Jamal is sitting on the WBC and he's not taking any risks. He's just calling out Canelo for a payday. Whereas Jamel is going out to the smoke. If he loses, he's doing a rematch right away. He's going after titles. He's unifying. And now he's made history at 154 when nobody else had been able to do that, including Arislandi Lara, who at one point was like the best fighter in that freaking division. So no, I got major respect. Jermel Charlo has now elevated to one of my favorite boxers in the current era. And he's probably going to be on lifeblood because there's just something about, and I don't know why it is. I can't say why, but it seems like Jermel, he's hungrier. He's, he's out there trying to, when they say lions only, of the two of them, Jermel's the one doing it. Jamal's not. And I want Jamal to be inspired by Jamel because right now, 160 is for the pickings for Jamal, except that you got Golovkin potentially in your way. Okay, get him out of your way. You said you wanted to fight him. So let's make that happen and show that you are like if if I was one of the twins, right? I'm going to be competitive with my brother. I'm going to do everything I can to over to surpass what they just did. So if I'm Jamal, I'm like, okay, I'm pissed off now. This dude just made history and I'm sleeping on mine. I got to step up and do something. And not seeing him do that is really disappointing. So I'm just calling for record right here, right now. Like the song says, Jermel Charlo is now one of my favorite boxers of the current era. 
because he's daring to be great. He is daring to actually make history as he just did. And it feels like he wants that smoke. And those are the ones that become my favorite boxers are the, are the ones who are really trying to do that. Obviously politics plays a part, but apparently not too much because Jamel got it done. So we can't use that as an excuse anymore, in my opinion. So we got to see what happens next here. Um, the last bits of boxing that's going to happen in May aren't really that exciting. There's some fights and I'm going to cover them next weekend, but they're not really that exciting, not really that compelling. However, June is stacked. June is stacked to the gills and I'm going to be very excited to see what's happening there. And then a couple of notes. We've got now the Combat Talk Radio is on main podcast is on iTunes, Spotify and Spotify. I believe we've got a lot more listeners coming from the Spotify side and apparently they were craving some boxing podcasts. So I welcome you to what we're doing and hopefully this is enjoyable. CombatTalkRadio.net is our site. If you want to learn a little bit more about where we came from, this started as a YouTube podcast and that's part of my announcement that I'll get into here for the YouTube listeners. If there are any, uh, we've decided right now we've made a decision that we're going to start uh, weaning off of YouTube-based uploads. What that means is that we're going to be podcast-only again, the way we started. So we'll upload to the podcast every week. We'll still be doing recordings every week. We'll still do the lifeblood of boxing and everything else. But for right now, we're going to hold off on uploading to YouTube. And the reason is because YouTube uploads add an extra layer of effort. And we're seeing that the traffic is starting to dwindle a little bit on the YouTube side. Seems to have started when Lomachenko took a loss because that's the of that of everything we've ever uploaded in all of CTR. I'm talking all of our podcasts. The Lomachenko and Tiafimo coverage that we did has more listens than anything else we've ever done times two and some cases times 10. So it feels like it's possibly Lomachenko fans that were the vast majority of the people left still following the sport, unless it's people that just followed the more okay, this one's got like 50,000 subscribers boxing voice or this one over here is LDBC and they go tribal kind of coverage and they just go to those. That's fine. We don't want to be that. We're just a fan that like to cover this stuff and we want to do our coverage for people that want to hear us. And from the numbers, just the stats, it looks like the podcast has people who want to hear what we're covering and YouTube does not anymore and that's okay. We're cool with that. So we're going to go where the people are that are listening and dedicate our time and energy into our podcast update updates and uploads, including our weekly masterpiece boxing uploads and our monthly lifeblood of boxing series. And so back now to the podcast folks, once for those that are new, cause pretty much everybody's new at this point at once a month, we upload a lifeblood of boxing audio series that spotlights a boxer that we feel deserves that spotlight talking about their career, talking about their rise and celebrating them as the one that feels like they're trying to entertain the fans. Those are the ones that we spotlight in lifeblood of boxing. Like I said, Jermel Charlo is going to be in it guaranteed at this point. I just can't tell you when, but I guarantee he's going to be in there. Our next lifeblood of block boxing is due in, in June because we just did your Yorkist Gamboa in May. So June will have our next one. That's once a month that that uploads. The weekly, which is every Friday, sometimes Saturday, sometimes Monday, but certainly every Friday, is our Masterpiece Boxing, where we talk about the boxing that's coming up this weekend, so you know, here's the biggest fights we think are worth your time, and our analysis, or our call, our prediction, based on what we know of the fighters. Sometimes we don't know, but we'll give it a shot based on what we see, and based on record, and style, and everything else. So we appreciate having you on board on the podcast side. 
Our job is to be consistent in our uploads. However, there are going to be times when we may skip an upload, like recently with the um, Canelo and Bivol. We did not upload the preview for Canelo Bivol, primarily because we felt more people would care about the outcome and the numbers seem to bear that out. So we may switch it every now and then, but we will consistently upload you something once a week at minimum. That is my commitment. Switching back to the YouTube side now. If if you are one who are hearing this right now and you're saying, no, I want to hear the coverage here on YouTube and I like it and we have interest in it, then I need your help because I got to hear from you. CombatTalkRadio.net at the bottom. We have a comments feedback form. Fill the form out and let us know. That is what you want is to have us upload to YouTube. If I don't hear from you guys telling me that that's what you want, I'm going to assume you don't want it. Also, I need you to spread the word. If there are other people who are boxing fans, Send, send the CombatTalkRadio.net link to them. Send the YouTube channel link to them. Get them to join and subscribe. Let's get the view counts up for what we're doing and get more comments and feedback letting us know that they want it. If I hear the demand, I'm a podcaster for the people. I will turn it back on if I get enough interest expressed. Right now, I don't hear it, so I have to assume it's not there. I'll leave the channel that's there in place. So it's a historical reference of what was, and I will record a separate audio to let people know that if you wanted to hear new updates, you need to go to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify or our host site on Anchor. That's all I got for you here this weekend. Um, I'm very happy to see history be made at 154. I'm very excited to see what the future holds for boxing. It's been in a lull. And I think it's kind of recovering a little bit. 2022 has had some really good fights. We've also had some major upsets take place, shocking upsets take place. And it seems like the energy level is going up. We're seeing more of a priority for unification, which brings me to my last bit of news for you before I wrap. Josh Taylor, who at one point was unified 140, is no more as he was stripped of the WBA for his refusal. He basically ducked fighting his mandatory Alberto Puello. So now Josh Taylor is no longer in that category of unified. So now... We have CM Punk Cambosis needs to deal with Devin Haney so he can truly be unified. And I suspect there's going to be some sketchy business on that one. Can't prove it. And we have other opportunities to unify. We have heavyweight that's in the air because of Fury retiring and so on. But unifications feel like they're becoming more important. It feels like they're trying to clean up the belt situation. It feels like they're trying to get rid of some of the third and secondary belts. So that's always good. Just keep watching the sport. If you like the sport, you like the sweet science of it all, keep watching along. And my goal is to try to at least make you aware of the fights that feel like they're worth your time. If you're a big fan, you're going to watch it anyway. But I'm watching it like a fan like you. So picture in your mind that you're at the barbershop chatting out boxing with somebody. That's what I do. I don't call myself an expert at all. I go it like I see it. And I'm not going to always agree with everybody else. I will say, though. I'm not like your quote LDBC or any of those. I'm not leaning towards any type of fighter, category of fighter. I don't care. I want the fighters who are trying to entertain the fans, but I also understand the business of boxing. And I understand at the end of the day, it's all about the resume. It's what have you done and what have you done recently? If a fighter hasn't done anything recently, I'm not going to regard that fighter higher than somebody that's been killing it on their resume. So, when you listen to my coverage, you're going to hear me specifically call out if I think somebody's untested or their record's not that good. Even if it, I don't go off, quote, I test, I don't do that. They can have all the style, grace, and fashion and flash that they want. I need resume. And I know that takes time to build it. 
But when you have certain guys over here that's got like 40 and 0, like Zerto Ramirez, but he's really fought nobody, right? It, I don't care. I, I need you to step up and fight quality opposition. That's what I hope and expect from every fighter. And if I don't see it, I call it out like it is. That's what I think boxing fans should do. And a lot of them didn't. That's why I created the channel. So for now, I'll sign off. I will check in with you guys next week. Thank you for being a listener. I'm very excited for the future of boxing. I know we've had some down points and we're going to continue to have some down points. But we're seeing some up and coming guys that may help carry the sport forward. And it's our job to celebrate those guys, not the ones that have held the sport back. And I'm not talking Floyd Mayweather because he didn't hold it back. Arguably, he's half the reason it's still alive. I'm talking people like a bumbanga, as I call him, who was hyped by the media and then lets everybody down. That's what hurts the sport. It's guys like that that hurt the sport. Not the ones that just happen to be making money and happen to be so highly skilled, but the ones that are just overrated and they get exposed. Or people like Mr. Gary Russell Jr., who choose not to fight but once a year and then get upset and then talk about a robbery. Those are the ones that hold the sport back. Those are the ones we want to call out. And we want to celebrate the ones who really are trying to entertain the fans and trying to make it a fight because that's what it is. If you're making it a fight, and, and you're actually f- making us feel your energy when you're in that ring, they're the ones that we as fans need to celebrate, not the ones who have been overhyped by the media to make us think that there's something that they're not. See you next week, guys.